Good afternoon, I'm JT Angstrom, Chief Strategy Officer at Freight Waves. Welcome to this episode of Fuller Speed Ahead. I'm with Spencer Tenney. Spencer is a specialist in surface transportation M&A. Spencer, welcome to Chattanooga, Tennessee. Good to be with you, JT. Now I understand your trip here to Chattanooga wasn't uh, that long of a drive. You came from a little bit outside Nashville? Just uh, Franklin, Tennessee, just a, just a little just skip down the road, yeah. And that's a pretty drive, too. Oh, it is. It's very nice. Okay. And, and now, you told me that you've been in Nashville, the general area, since about 2005. Yes. Can you tell me a little bit about how you got there and what you were doing before? And I know that kind of ties into what you're doing yeah, presently. Yeah, so, um, you know, I've been, I mean, it's a family-owned business. And so my, my family's been in transportation for 65-plus years. But my reason for Nashville is I, I have a, a little bit of a songwriting bug in me. And back at that time, I was a single man and could do M&A anywhere. And so I came out here to, to be part of the songwriting community and just uh, just an amazing place, an amazing community. It was just a great experience. That's awesome. So were you songwriting and doing M&A at the same time? I was. I was. And clearly I was better at one than the other. So there you go. That's awesome. And so as you've uh, come to learn a little bit, I've done some M&A in my past yes, sir. across the same exact market that it sounds like you're focusing on. So I think this will be a fun discussion. and. Uh, I'm really interested to see how this uh, discussion develops. Me too. So with that, can you tell us a little bit about the family business and then how you got into it besides kind of the obvious, maybe what the first day, week, month was like, and then perhaps talk to us a little bit about your first deal way back when? Yeah, so um, that's interesting. Um, well, again, my dad owned several different types of transportation businesses which as a result of doing well, I started consulting, started helping companies acquire, and then they'd say, can you help me sell it? And that just kind of a natural evolution kind yeah. of got us into brokering deals. Yep. And um, I didn't want any part of it. When I grew up, uh, my only memories of my dad were, I had, if I wanted to see him, I had to go to the shop and work with him, yep. get, a, get a broom. So I was kind of resentful for that, but um, very clearly I learned how hard business owners work. Yeah. Uh, what's required to be in this industry and what's required to be successful and so it kind of became a calling for me as life went on to say hey because I know what's here I, I felt really responsible that I could help these people mm -hmm. um, when it came time to uh, make the most and capitalize on what's most you know 90-100% of their total net worth tied up in these businesses and so uh, sometimes more than 100% maybe sometimes <laughs> more but but I think they're that the trucking industry the people in logistics industry some of the most talented hard-working down-to-earth folks yep. most of which when it comes to their business sell they want to do something for others they want to be impactful with their community they want to take care of their employees and so um, you know, because there's some complications with this industry that makes it a little difficult specific to transportation uh, we try to provide a process to get those pitfalls out of the way so that they can get a deal done and um, and you know be impactful with their business sales so early on um, I'm trying to think what was my first deal is what you're yeah. asking about first uh, deal is always an interesting one because um, I want to say trying to accomplish a lot of things you've never done before I know um, and luckily I wasn't totally on my own I had I had some some support but I think I, I did a little passenger transportation deal out in Florida okay. as my kind of my first slow, uh, solo situation. And it was a neat deal. I mean, there's always little stories about it. I Naturally. can remember uh, my buyer's uh, wife came to a meeting and she was intoxicated and almost blew the whole deal up. But uh, <laughs> it, was, it was pretty comical, but it was uh, foreshadowing of many things that uh, were For to sure. come about challenges of, of deal making, but also 
how sweet it was to help my client, um, you know, move on, start a new chapter of life. Yeah, yeah. You know, people always ask me what was the, one of the biggest things I really enjoyed and also remember about doing deals, and I think it's the, the sheer adrenaline rush oh, yeah. that comes with really trying to progress things and move the chains constantly, mm. and also the complete unknowns that come associated with any deal. And to your point, to your story. It's typically something completely out of left field oh, yeah. and something to do with an interpersonal interaction, which typically comes associated with levels of high stress, high anxiety, and you know, third party players coming into the fringe, uh, trying, to, trying to involve themselves. And so uh, that's an interesting story. That's an interesting story. So can you tell us a little bit about now rolling forward towards your current practice, what you're seeing in the market, the types of thing you're, the things you're active on, obviously you can't talk about live deals, I'm not asking that, but any general color you can provide. Sure, so I mean, 100% of what we're gonna do is gonna be transportation and logistics. That's cool. And so um, most of that's gonna be in the lower middle market, which from a, a revenue standpoint, most of it's gonna be between 20 and 300 million in annual revenue, as far as what we'll work on. Um, but. You know, right now we've got anything from final mile to uh, refrigerated to dry van to some liquid bolt. We've got some uh, some 3PL. We got a little bit of mix of everything in terms of what we're doing. Um, in terms of done deals, done eight transactions in the last 12 months. Most recently, uh, the deal with Linstar and Ford Air, uh, which was a 90 million dollar final mile. Great company. That's awesome. Great company. So um, that's awesome. But again, a lot of, like the profile. A lot of these folks are. Um, it, it's high stakes. I mean, there's not a whole lot of margin for error, and when you have a low margin industry, uh, it makes it that much more important that this process goes well. So we take great pride in that, and um, you know, our team is just uh, constantly. Like you talk about having a little bit of a hiccup. You know, we're constantly trying to figure out what we can do to protect them from that. But when we do use uh, what we've learned through you know, 47 years of doing this to try to make it as smooth as possible for our clients. That's tremendous. And now, I think a lot of your clients are first-time business sellers. Is that right? Oh, almost all of them, yeah. And so maybe if we have a little bit of a discussion around what happens when you go through a sale process, what are some of the things these first-time business sale uh, you know, business owners selling their businesses learn in retrospect mm -hmm. that they always kind of tell future sellers, hey, you should think about this and understand this. I think there's a lot of uh, areas that come up in M&A mm -hmm. um, that first-time sellers don't really realize until they find themselves at the table. And some uh, areas that I've observed in my past that come to mind parlay to, mm -hmm. you know, the difference between an asset and a stock purchase or sale. Uh, tax ramifications of both geography, both the types of transaction, uh, what a roll or an earnout might look like, um, you know, what continuing uh, in involvement in the business may be, how to renegotiate an employment contract once you no longer own the business, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the benefits of working with a you know personal wealth advisor before the actual close of the transaction. I mean, those are all great things. I think that, that that's just kind of like. I mean, you and I could probably build a checklist that is There's pretty, so many, pretty, right? pretty extensive. But I would say probably the three most common themes that I hear, number one, probably started too late yep. uh, or later than I would have liked because I could have got my tax and my wealth strategy a little bit, a little bit more continuity. Um, I could have prepared a little bit more. Some of it's just emotionally preparing for the process. When, you, when you're aware about the deal structures that you're going to see and you can have, you have time to digest it because I think what happens is 
for the first time seller, when they get in that environment, um, everything's new. They don't trust much of anything because mm -hmm. it's because it's new. But when you have time to kind of prepare yourself, this is what it's going to look like. This is what you're going to see, and then in fact you do see those things. More than likely, you're going to be more uh, controlled in the process, and you're going to have a better result. So that would be one thing. The second thing is that um, they learn that their goals evolve yeah. over the course of the process. And mm -hmm. I don't mean necessarily price. An example of this is a, um, a recent deal that we did. Um, it was initially it was all about the money. Just give me the best money that I can get. And then ultimately, when we had six offers laid across the table, all different structures. You know, taking an offer that was six or ten million dollars below the highest offer because um, it allowed him to fulfill his commitment to his community and to his people by keeping them in the town of, of where they were currently. Otherwise, yeah. they would have had to relocate the whole leadership team. Yep. So I think just kind of like, hey, it's a, keep an open mind. Yep. Um, and then the third thing I think is just realizing that it's not just about what happens at the closing table. Maximizing the sale is both before during and after from a, from a wealth management and deployment strategy. And when you kind of think of it in those terms, it allows a lot more flexibility to get it the right deal done. Absolutely, I couldn't agree more. And that's a, I think you bucketed that in mm -hmm. a very thoughtful fashion. Um, now maybe can we talk a little bit about sort of the difference of thinking through a strategic sale versus a you know, dealing with a financial sponsor yeah. and how that parlays into expectations on an ongoing basis. I think really, I mean, it, it really comes down to post-transaction strategies and expectations of what's going to happen there, um, and deal structure as well. Yeah. I mean, a strategic is going to structure a deal very differently from a private equity. Uh, and when, again, one, if owners know that, um, uh, you know, the, the, whoever the, the, the industry and, and, and related experience has a lot to do with what kind of structure that a seller will accept. I mean, if they are creditworthy it can really open up some doors about how they can capitalize on the deal itself. Mm -hmm. So I think that has a lot to do with it. But um, some of it's just personality, it's culture. There's a very different private equity culture than a strategic. It's yep. kind of easier to match that up. Mm -hmm. And again, back to the, um, you know, the expectations about goals evolving. Once kind of people get in there and they get the feel, they're like, hey, this company or this buyer, they're the trustees of my legacy. Right. Like, and sometimes, um, you know, the comfort level is very different between one or the other. For sure. And that's a big deal. And I think you said it well, yeah. trustees of my legacy, that really truly is, especially in the domestic sort of lower middle market surface transportation space. A lot of these are, you know, family born and bred businesses. Yeah, you have a 100-year reputation on the line. You're not in just some, selling an cases, asset. Yeah. You're selling your blood, sweat, and tears for multi-decades into the past. Yeah. Um, so that's all great commentary. Mm -hmm. So now maybe we'll talk looking forward, less about deal structure, more so about kind of what are you seeing in the market? How are you seeing the market evolve? What are you seeing in terms of general trends, in terms of deal making? Mm -hmm. um, obviously, there have been a big LBO wave over the past five to ten years. Uh, you know, kind of what are you what are you seeing as thematic within the space? Well, I mean, we're still in a, demographically. I mean, just at a place where there's just a tremendous supply of businesses that either are need to sell or should be selling just based, based on age. I mean, if they have a successor, that's one thing, but if they don't, that has a lot to do with driving activity. But I think from a structure standpoint, because of the current disruption between insurance, between a host of different other things, I think that has influenced deal structure mm -hmm. uh, and valuations to some degree. Mm -hmm. um, driver shortage certainly has some impact on that as well. Yeah. Um, and then also, you know, you talk about, you know, the used truck 
market. That has some some impact. Yeah. Uh, when you you know dump multi-thousand trucks into the used truck market. Yeah. Um, you know what other folks thought that hey at least I could liquidate my equipment. Like well, actually no. Right. That's not going to play well. Like, no, we gotta, it doesn't work well. We have to in order to, for you to like have any type of protection or preservation of wealth. Like we got to have some type of transfer because it's very difficult for anybody to put value on used trucks if there's not drivers and or revenue attached to it. Mm -hmm. um, Plus then you still own the liabilities. Exactly. So so I think that there, there's going to be a lot of deals being made, but like with supply and demand, I think that you got that the amount of quality, stable companies is going to be shrinking. And because of that, the valuations for those um, specific companies are going to go up. But for the rest of the companies that don't kind of meet that profile or that standard, I mean, it's going to be tough. Now, in terms of uh, subsector level supply and demand dynamics, there's been a lot of interest for asset light businesses. I think there's been a lot of uh, people raising their hands in sort of the domestic drive-in asset base side mm -hmm. of the, the house. Kind of what markets do you see as most beneficial for a seller versus, uh, you know, most favorable for a buyer right now? Um, I mean, certainly the asset light. I mean, I think that just because there's more interest right now, and usually you have, when you have a, a larger pool of motivated buyers, it yep. makes it easier to get a deal done just on pure volume. Mm -hmm. um, so that the asset light companies that are interested in doing a transition, I think it's, that's pretty important right now. Yeah. Uh, for the other folks, um, I, you know, I, it's, it's very cyclical. And I was I was telling Craig before we got in here, I just think it's a little bit difficult to tell. It's not you know to try to be reactionary right now. I don't. It's difficult for me to make sense of. I, I don't really know. But um, in general, uh, I think that um, if you're not doing something proactive and pretty um, bold mm -hmm. on the business development side, then it's it's going to be a pretty painful next couple of years. Yeah, and so um, I think that's right. So I think part. So the good news is is that's creating opportunities for everybody mm -hmm. because it's bringing more buyers, uh, regardless of uh, performance. And so I think that there is some opportunities as long as people are um, being proactive at both sides of the table. I think there can be win-win scenarios across the board. No, I think that's right. I think that's a good note to end on as well. So with that. Uh, thank you all for joining this episode of Fuller Speed Ahead with JT Angstrom. Uh, if you haven't yet, please do check us out on FreightWaves.com. Please check out Sonar. 5.0 has been released. 6.0 will be coming out. Uh, it is our proprietary market intelligence tool. It can help you understand the fundamental dynamics of all these businesses we just talked about. Uh, with that, thank you, Spencer, thank for coming you, to Chattanooga. Please join us again. Talk to you guys soon.